Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Last week, we had a congressional alumni panel of two people who uh, had quite an impact in their time in Congress. And a lot of people, the feedback that I got was overwhelmingly positive. A lot of folks felt, well, that's really something, having people who were actually inside the room, actually part of the legislative sausage-making process, describe exactly what's happening in D.C. these days. The lone complaint uh, that I got from a few folks is that the uh, conservative that had been booked for our panel last week fell asleep. So uh, we had sort of a centrist and someone left of center, and folks thought this might have been some sort of crypto-fascist plot for me to surreptitiously include left-wingerism in your daily media diet. Well, today we are going to try it again because there's no shortage of fascinating things happening in Washington, D.C., but uh, we have secured the services of a rock-ribbed conservative Republican. Let me welcome uh, Thaddeus McCotter, former Republican congressman from Michigan, the former chair of the Republican House Policy Committee, and a contributor to America. And greatness. Thaddeus, thanks so much for joining me on the radio. Oh, thanks for having me. And someone who's no, no stranger to our audience, uh, returning once again because he just can't get enough of these late night hours, is former New York Democratic Congressman Anthony Weiner, uh, my colleague at 77 WABC in New York, where he hosts In the Middle and he hosts the Keys to the City podcast on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Anthony, it's great to talk with you again. Thank you, Frank. It's, um, I guess it's my turn to fall asleep during the interview. <laughs> hey, uh, I know you guys were in Congress at the same time. Something tells me that maybe you guys didn't go to the same cocktail parties. Is that a fair assumption on my part? Well, actually, Thad and I did spend a lot of early mornings doing the same thing. We were both active on our respective congressional baseball teams. Thad's a great athlete, actually got a, uh, got a very important base hit in, I think, 2009 that helped the Republicans win. And he's one of the sharpest guys that the Republicans had at that time, which is why they chased him out of the house. <laughs> All right. Well, we won't ruin his reputation by giving him too many compliments from you, uh, Anthony. All right. Let me get to the uh, debt ceiling debate. Uh, it's been reported the Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen is saying today's the day where we could hit the debt ceiling. And uh, there's a lot of concern about a potential debt default. There's concern about the members of the House Freedom Caucus. If they don't go along with some sort of a deal to raise the debt ceiling unless they get major concessions, then uh, it could lead to cataclysmic effects on the stock market, could lead to bad effects on the bond market. President Biden says he's not ready to he's not going to negotiate over the debt ceiling. Here was the uh, House Speaker, Kevin McCarthy, this week. What I'd like to do is I'd like to sit down with all the leaders, especially with the president, and start having a discussion. I think it's a sign of arrogance if you would say he wouldn't even discuss it. Who wants to put the nation in some type of threat at the last minute of debt ceiling? Nobody wants to do that. That's why we're asking, let's, let's change our behavior now. Let's sit down. Uh, Thaddeus, so since everyone now knows about your uh, baseball playing th- uh, prowess, let me begin with you. Uh, where do you see this uh, debt ceiling situation going? And this does become a little bit of an inside baseball issue for a lot of people. They don't necessarily understand the implications here. Do you think there's any real concern that we could uh, go over the debt ceiling and actually default on our debt for the first time in history? Well, as Secretary Yellen has talked about, the, the they have measures that they can engage in to prolong how long this will go on. I think everybody kind of expected it when the House 
was uh, Republicans took uh, control, that there was going to be some type of give and take that's going to happen. And as Anthony knows, we've, we've both been through these types of situations, and they do tend to make for good political theater. You know, you get your timeline and the clocks ticking and all that. But in the end, eventually they reach a deal. Now, the question then becomes for the Republicans, I think, especially having watched the the contest for speaker within the caucus itself, the Democrats have learned that there is going to be some political hay made by watching the Republicans fight each other over this before they engage in serious negotiations. And I think that's kind of where we are right now. Anthony, where do you see this going, if anywhere? Well, they have an index you can buy called the VIX, the Volatility Index, and maybe your listeners want to invest in it for the next couple of weeks because I think people are going to be a little bit worried about it. And and make no mistakes about it, both both sides, just about every member of Congress, if you look at their record enough, you can find they've played both sides of this this debt limit fight. You know, arguing that you should vote no, arguing you should vote yes. At the end of the day, I think that that it is an obligation, just so your listeners understand, it's an obligation for debts that have already been incurred. I think starting back in 1917 or something like that, we used to have many different types of lines of credit that were extended by the government. They were combined all in one and said, instead of authorizing each one through Congress, let's just overall uh, authorize a number. This is money that's already been allocated. I think at the end of the day, something will get done. What does make it different from the time that Thad and I were in Congress is the margins are so very tight and you can count on the Democrats being not helpful at all. Like like Thad said, the Democrats are going to sit back and kind of watch with glee as the Republicans try to fight over this. And the other thing that's different this time is that this may be the only real point of leverage that the Republicans in the House of Representatives at least have if you remember at the tail end of last year, that big omnibus bill funded the government all through September. So this is the last kind of truly must pass thing that Kevin McCarthy and his caucus have. So I, I, I do think that it might be perilous because I think that the markets and, and all of us are wondering, can they legislate in this kind of a, a, a moment? But I think it'll get done basically because it it has to get done. These are obligations that we have. I think most People, even if they only have a casual understanding of governance, to understand that we've got to pay our bills. It's one of our most important assets that we have on the world stage. Is that we're the, the reserve currency. We don't, we can't keep that title if we don't pay interest on our bills. Uh, Thaddeus, do you see? First of all, both of you, do you think that will happen today? Will we get a, a raising of the debt ceiling today? Since that's the the day that uh, Janet Yellen. Has uh, has warned about and uh, and Thaddeus, do you see the members of the House Freedom Caucus trying to extract any concessions as a, as an, a, you know in exchange for raising the debt ceiling? Well, I think you're going to see Republicans in general are going to want to see spending reductions. As Anthony said, this is the opportunity that they really have this year to do it. So they're going to do it. I think they also can actually make a good argument, which you see the Fed doing the basis points uh, increases that they're going through, trying to slow down the economic growth. A reduction in some areas of government spending could actually help to get the soft landing we're looking for. But be that as it may, ultimately it's going to be when the administration decides that the Republicans have suffered enough internally and beat each other up enough internally that they want to engage in some negotiations. Now, it's not just the House Republicans versus an administration. You also have a new Democrat. The Democrats control the Senate again, and they're going to want to be heard on this. So you have three moving parts, all have their own interests and agenda, let alone the partisan interest. And so it's going to be very difficult. I don't think it's going to happen overnight. It's going to have to play out. Anthony, I can't imagine anybody thinks it's a sound legislative strategy to every year, every six months, every whatever amount of time that we need to have the country uh, biting its nails as we go to the brink of, are we going to raise the debt ceiling? Isn't there something that can be done to just automate the raising of the debt ceiling to pay America's bills that have already been incurred? I mean, it has nothing to do with making decisions about new spending. Why isn't there a bipartisan move to kind of de-weaponize this debt ceiling debate? Well, it comes up every so often around this time of this crisis that that obvious question gets answered. And the answer is that there is always someone whose interest it is to keep the cudgel. In this case, it's the Republicans in the House who 
frankly, don't mind having this out there. It's, they've been talking about it as their lone point of, of, of influence, the lone point of leverage they've had for a while. The, the problem is these, these so-called obvious solutions of just extending things long term, it's always in someone's interest not to want to do that because they get to get their piece of the action because this exists. As far as your question on whether this gets solved now, it, it won't. It's not going to get solved immediately. There are things, you know, if you think about this in the terms of who the federal government has to pay in terms of interest and uh, on, on the bills that they've got, much of the debt is held internally by us. It's held by the Social Security Trust Fund. It's held by pension funds and the like. So there are ways that we can kind of slow payments to those things and make them up later. So there is a certain amount of, of, of leeway here. If you're concerned that you're going to, you know, tomorrow some, some Damocles sword is going to fall, I don't think that's going to happen. I think there'll be a couple of weeks here. Let me ask both of you about the curious case of uh, Congressman George Santos. Every day I wake up determined not to talk about George Santos, but every day there's five news stories all about George Santos. The uh, big news in the last 24 hours is that uh, in spite of what he said, his mother was not actually in the World Trade Center on September 11th. She wasn't even the country. She was in Brazil. And that he might have bilked uh, two New Jersey veterans out of $3,000 when he tried to organize a fundraiser for uh, their service dog. Uh, There's a growing chorus of folks calling for him to resign. Uh, Congressman Peter King uh, on the Republican side has said he needs to resign right away. Uh, A Nassau County legislator says that even though Santos hasn't yet been charged with a crime, he should be surrendering his passport. Congressman Richie Torres, a Democrat, also saying that Santos has to go. Uh, My message to Mr. Santos is simple. This will not end well for you. You should resign in order to put to rest the national nightmare you are creating not only for yourself, but for the people of New York 3 who are being denied the representation that they deserve. Uh, both of you resigned from Congress under very different circumstances and uh, after a much longer tenure. Where do you see this going? And is this going to be something that every House Republican has to answer questions about whenever they go on the Sunday shows or talk about anything else? It certainly seems that way so far. Thaddeus, what becomes of George Santos? Well, I don't know what's going to happen to him. I don't know quite what the House is going to do with him. Granted, I mean, obviously, the public will never trust politicians again because of this. (laughs) And I think there's probably going to be a lawsuit for malpractice for every political opposition research person that was engaged in that campaign for missing all of this. Uh, At the end of the day, I think he should resign. I don't know quite the circumstances that happened, but I mean, it would be the honorable thing to do. And yet, if you look at what's happened so far, wouldn't you get any indication he's going to do the honorable thing? Anthony, what about you? Where do you see this going at this point? Well, I'm, I'm kind of like you. I take some heat from my listeners on Saturdays because I don't like really dwelling on this much more. I, I in, in, in a way, I, I resigned under similar circumstances. I resigned for lying. And part of the reason that I did is that it became untenable for me, for my family, and for my my colleagues. You know, it, it became and it was a much briefer period of time, and I would argue that the lives were very, very different in nature. But I, I mean, I don't know how it 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 ends. I do think that there are some level that not all lies are the same. Finding out he lied about his his grandmother dying in the Shoah, finding out that his his mother did not in fact die on September 11th. These are kind of like the version of kind of like stolen valor for Mm -hmm. a lot of people, because here in the New York area, those types of lies are next level. Like they're really, and then when you add in kind of this, there's one thing Democrats, Republicans both agree upon is we like, we like our pets and like to find out that he led to the death of a dog unnecessarily. It's almost like Saturday Night Live parody material at this point. It's interesting, though, local New York Republicans want him out. McCarthy and some of the fringe of the Republican Party in Washington seem to be quasi embracing him, and he seems to be moving into their embrace. So I don't see anything that would force him out except the ethics, the the ethics process or the legal process. 
So I think he's going to be around for a while. If he's bound and determined to hang in there, there's not really much to do to remove him. Uh, Thaddeus, do you see mm-hmm. uh, the mounting pressure coming from the New York Republicans ultimately leading Kevin McCarthy to refer this to the House Ethics Committee? And if so, uh, what does that mean for Santos? Well, I think they have to find a reason to refer it to the committee. Uh, it could be someone will have to file a complaint internally to go do that. Um, on my part, unlike some, I resigned because people I trusted to do something broke the law. And in my in my case, uh, you're responsible for the people that you employ and that you that you hire. And to me, that was the honorable thing to do. So I, for me, it is a completely alien concept uh, to do what uh, Santos has done. Uh, and you heard Anthony say some of the things that he the, the lies that he's told. It's, it strikes me as a far. It's almost it's almost a psychological pathological. Um, instance of lying. And even, you know, politicians in many ways uh, deserve the rap they get. But honestly, I've never seen anything like that. By the way, Thaddeus, uh, one or two listeners uh, just reached out to me saying that I'm off base describing you as a, a conservative. I don't think I'm off base at all. You would consider yourself a conservative, wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. I'm Russell Kirk. I actually read the books. I'm not a talking point conservative. I actually uh, know the ideology. I know the philosophy. I know the difference between the two. So, look, <laughs> it's it's the, the classic. You're a rhino if I disagree with you, right? right. That's how it works, and I get it. I, look, I'm not even I'm even I'm not even running anymore. I'm a recovering politician, for God's sake. But that's the type of people that um, actually uh, wouldn't know a conservative. Uh, and I can't say the word that I would use right about now for something else. <laughs> Fair enough. We're going to continue with uh, former Congressman Thaddeus McCotter and former Congressman Anthony Weiner in just a bit. We'll try and squeeze in a few questions if we can. 800-848-9222. There's a lot being made about some of the more conservative members of the House caucus, uh, House conference being put on the oversight committee. What does that mean for the next two years? Does that mean just endless investigations? We'll find out with Anthony Weiner and Thaddeus McCotter straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. One of the things uh, that we learned about Congressman Thaddeus McCotter during his brief bid for the presidency is that he was a big fan of the Ramones. Uh, Perhaps uh, that's why some people view his conservative credentials with a raised eyebrow. Who knows? We're talking with uh, former Democratic Congressman Anthony Weiner and former Republican Congressman uh, Thaddeus McCotter. One of the things that has been talked about a great deal in the last 24 hours is the role of the House Oversight Committee. We've seen the Republicans on the House Oversight Committee send more letters to the Biden administration since 2021, so just in a little more than a year, than any other panel. And it looks like this is going to be the epicenter of a political war that could define the next two years. The House Republicans have made a choice to appoint several of their Uh, most controversial and in some cases most adversarial minded members to the Oversight Committee. Marjorie Taylor Greene, Scott Perry, Lauren Boebert, Paul Gosar, they're all going to be on the Oversight Committee. And uh, a lot of folks are wondering if that is just going to mean an endless stream of investigations. Uh, Thaddeus McCutter, I know you had a column about this on uh, American greatness. What do you think this means for the country? What do you think this means for the Congress? What do you think it means for the Biden administration? Well, first off, it's part of the constitutional checks and balances uh, for the Congress to have oversight over the executive branch. So I think that that's 
right along the lines of what they're supposed to do. But the concern that they always have to make sure is that an investigation is not an end unto itself. The end result of an investigation is supposed to be recommendations and appropriately, where necessary, the legislation that follows it uh, to make lives better, to make life of the American people better. So if you're going to have an investigation, know what you're going to look for and know what the recommendations should or should not be when you get done with it and then put it into legislation and put it forward. That's the goal, and that's the job of the Congress to do. If you start to look like you're too partisan or if you're just doing it just for tad, and we've seen that in the past from both sides, uh, the public tunes you out, and eventually they'll turn out your majority. Anthony, uh, endless investigations. Are we going to have 9,000 Benghazi hearings or whatever the modern equivalent of the Benghazi hearings is? Well, there's a, uh, to bastardize a famous quote, there's a a toast that you would make to a fellow politician, may you be blessed by unpopular opponents. I mean, this might turn out to be exactly what the doctor ordered for Joe Biden. You know, it's, it's, I think it is Friday of this week uh, is the 30th anniversary of, of Bill Clinton being inaugurated. His first two years were very rocky. He, he, uh, he, I think he had a majority in the House and the Senate. He loses the House in, in 1994. And then the Republicans basically terrorized him for the next couple of years. He was never so popular as when he left after six years of Republican control because of the sensibility that he was trying to get things done and the Republicans in Congress were just after him. Now, I think that, you know, these these people that you listed, they have followings within the Republican Party, but I don't think they represent a very popular element of that party. And I don't think investigations per se are what Americans think of when they think of what they want government to be doing. That is right. Oversight is an important thing. But it, these are not these those people that you listed the Boberts of the world the 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 Gateses of the world the Gosars of the world these are the ones that are viewed as more the problem in Washington than the solution and if Joe Biden who started to gain more popularity when things started to get done this summer um, if it looks like the Republicans are just investigating for investigation's sake and they're being unfair or they're attacking Joe Biden's family or the like I think it might lead to actually Joe Biden gaining in popularity. On the other hand, if there becomes a center of gravity within the Republican Party that says, you know, what, we want to actually get some things done, you might have a situation where really everyone benefits, that laws start getting passed, that 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 faction in, in Washington, both on the left and the right, gets pushed aside a little bit. It could ultimately be the, the like the spark of maybe changing the, the, the tenor in Washington for the better. Well, if I, if I can, Please. Frank, on Anthony's point, you have a great example. You had a bipartisan vote to establish a select committee uh, to deal with the threat that is the Chinese Communist Party. And you, it was a very large bipartisan vote. And that's an instance where finally uh, the elected officials are where the public is, recognizing that communist China is a strategic threat and rival model of governance that we have to deal with. And this committee can actually investigate and look at the ways that the communist Chinese are uh, aggressively pursuing their policies, their national comprehensive uh, power strategy, their wolf diplomacy, and their trade practices. Uh, and if legislation come of this, it would be successful, and I think it would be highly uh, prized by the American people. But that's one instance where you can see where the oversight and the investigatory powers of Congress actually heading down a path that could actually be beneficial for the American people. One of the and, and Frank, Frank, can, can I can I add if we're going to do predictions yeah, about things ahead. might how things might actually go better and than, than we might expect? Take the 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 intention of the Republicans to investigate social media platforms. Now they want to do it because they think that there's censorship going on and there's too much influence of the left. Many Democrats are very concerned about platforms like TikTok and Facebook and and for other reasons, thinking that they. They're harmful to the public discourse. They think they're too easily infiltrated by the Chinese and by the Russians. Other, You could see, you know, when I, I did a prediction show at the end of last year on the middle, and one of the things I predicted is that Congress would ban TikTok in the United States because that left-right um, Venn diagram would get more and more overlap. So it, it could work out that, that while we think about this in terms of the really shrill voices yelling at each other in Congress, that is often, and I know it was when Thad and I were in Congress, that's often the the the, the initiative um, that and th- that leads Democrats and Republicans 
to start working together to kind of push those voices aside. So it it might not be it might not be as bad as it all sounds. Which I think is great, uh, by the way. And if uh, if it leads to some reforms when it comes to TikTok or uh, a, a, a a clause that they have to spin off and no longer be Chinese owned, and uh, I think that would be certainly a very healthy thing. Are there any other areas like that, uh, Anthony, beyond TikTok, beyond big tech, where you could see sort of an unusual left-right alliance to move the ball forward on something that uh, most people think is a, a real problem? And the solutions might be uh, done in a bipartisan or nonpartisan manner. No, no, no. <laughs> no I'm okay. just kidding. Uh, um, yeah, there, there are, you know, the, if you look at it at at what Americans say they want, they want. You know, fundamentally, here's the thing: I don't understand. How come the Republicans haven't announced they want to do hearings on supply chains or on inflation, the things that people really care about, on our dependence on on foreign oil, perhaps? I mean, maybe. That's too woke and green, but things like that that are real bread and butter economic issues. The Republican Party, their their stock and trade in the time that that Dad and I came up in Congress and came up in politics, basically roughly the same time. He and I are roughly the same age. Is that the Republicans were the party of fiscal responsibility? They were the party of not running up debts and things like that. I think here we are at a time economic issues are foremost on people's minds right now. If the Republicans figure out a way to do that kind of stuff. There are a lot of Democrats who are going to come along because we have a lot of moderate Democrats in our caucus. And frankly, all Americans are saying to their congressmen, now do something about high costs, do something about inflation, do something about the, you know, the, 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 the fragility of our economy right now. So it could be that those things become areas that Democrats and Republicans can work together. Uh, Thaddeus, anything you would add there? Well, I definitely think that Mr. Secretary Buttigieg and others are going to be on Capitol Hill quite a bit. I think the appropriate committees are going to call them in on things like the supply chain and things uh, such as inflation. But I also think that one of the areas that, that you see indications, I think I don't think it'll happen until after the next presidential election, but you've seen Senator Klobuchar, you've seen Senator Hawley, a Democrat and a Republican, talking about looking at antitrust legislation. They want to look at some of the major accumulations of wealth and concentrations of wealth in specific businesses across our economy and to see whether they're anti-competitive, whether they are teetering on, bordering on uh, monopolistic practices. So when you talk about income inequality, when you start to talk about antitrust legislation, when you talk about trying to make sure that we have a free market here in the United States and that the little person can still uh, get ahead in this country, I think that antitrust legislation is something both sides in their own way from different perspectives are looking at it for one reason or another. And I think you're going to continue to see steps along that way, but I don't know you'll see those steps culminating in any major breakthrough again until after the next election. One of the things that we've heard increasing uh, warnings about is an impeachment probe of Secretary Mayorkas on the border issue. He's the Homeland Security Secretary for people that don't know. And there's been a lot of Republicans talking about very openly about moving forward with impeachment. And I'm curious, where does that go? Obviously, it's easy to see where it goes with the Senate being still Democrat majority. But in terms of a political theater perspective, or maybe even uh, causing some problems for Mayorkas and the Biden administration on their border policies, where does that go in terms of uh, hearings? Where does it go in terms of the political theater of it? Anthony, what do you think? Well, it's funny, you know, in, in, the, in the realm of legislation that we need and what used to be a bipartisan issue, immigration is that. Not bipartisan that Democrats, Republicans had the same imperatives, but there was always stuff that both sides wanted out of immigration policy. That's why every 20 years or so, there would be a big immigration reform bill that no one was completely happy with, but, but got the job done. I think there's a very high chance that immigration continues to be a place that Republicans keep performing and keep keep, you know, causing, uh, you know, I think they think it's a winning issue. Um, I think that impeachment strikes me as a step too far. And impeachment, I think, strikes most Americans as a step too far. Um, but I think that it's a very popular base issue for the Republican Party. So I think that they're going to they're going to continue to harp on. It. And I think that Joe Biden um, has a real vulnerability on it as an issue. But I think this is a case that if the Republicans aren't careful, they're going to wind up making Biden seem like the adult in the room on this. 
um, where right now he seems like the one who's not solving a very important problem. Thaddeus? Well, I think I think that Anthony's right, especially if you look, I, I would if I had to, I would vote to impeach him. I think he's terrible at his job. But politically, if you look at it, nothing is going to uh, make a difference until you put forward the legislation that will help secure the border. And if it's just an impeachment of Mayorkas and you think that that's going to suffice heading into the next election, that's not going to be the case. The people who actually have to deal with the crisis at the border every single day, the Americans who have to deal with it in their communities, want to know what you're going to do to solve this, how you're going to fix it. And they want to see it put forward in legislation. They want to see where people stand on it with votes up or down one way or the other in both chambers. So what you're going to see is if you use impeachment as a way to try to appease the base or play political theater without putting forward any positive solutions, it will be held as a mark against you when you head into the election. One of the other areas where I think we're likely to see some oversight investigations is this whole issue with respect to the classified documents that might have been mishandled by Joe Biden. I know that uh, there has been a special prosecutor appointed to look at this, but I think that's going to be insufficient for some members of the Oversight Committee. Some people have even speculated that uh, the Democrats sort of see the handwriting on the wall for Joe Biden, and they're going to use this classified document issue to keep him from running again in uh, 2024. Anthony, uh, what what about that? Uh, Both that conspiracy theory that I just mentioned, that this is a, a Democratic plot to derail Biden's presidential campaign and about congressional oversight as it relates to this uh, Biden document probe. Well, it's, it's, you know, just, just today on the middle unplugged the podcast I do that, that, that drops on Wednesday. I think there is room for bipartisan work on this, but on a different question that's being asked, you know, every year we make about 80 million classification decisions, about 2,000 people in the federal government all throughout different agencies make these decisions. We are we have very little oversight on what becomes classified, how those docu- how it's decided what becomes classified. I think overwhelmingly things are classified so people like members of Congress and reporters and public and the public can't discuss them. I, I think that this is the tip of a much larger issue of how we are at a point where we classify so much of our government that no one really pays much attention to. This might be a place that now that we have seen both vulnerabilities on the side of the of the former president and the current president, that both parties, the adults in both parties get together and say, wait a minute, there has to be a better way to secure this information. There has to be a better way to do oversight over what becomes classified in the first place. We just have to have a larger conversation about the secrets our government is keeping from its citizens. Um, you know, I, 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 I used to be uh, my, my former wife was the deputy chief of staff to Hillary Clinton, as many of your listeners know. She would tell me stories how they would give them documents and say this is completely classified. And then they would go in and and the, the talking points for other foreign leaders were classified. Well, those foreign leaders. They're talking points because you're saying those words to foreign leaders. How much of a secret could it possibly be? (laughs) The, 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 The point is that, yes, I do believe that this whole area, which we're now all becoming interested in, has been a problem. There were large portions of budgets that Thad and I would vote on that we would be told we cannot even see the numbers for those budgets. And if we wanted to talk about it, we had to go into a secure room. We had to have someone come in, unzip a a pouch, stand over us while we read it. We have too many secrets. Now, as far as this being a way to get rid of Joe Biden, listen, Democrats don't want, Republicans don't want Trump to run. We're not particularly crazy about Biden running. Those are probably going to be the nominees, whatever conspiracy theories notwithstanding. That's our future, unfortunately. But I don't believe there's any larger conspiracy here to keep Joe Biden from running. You know, the issue that you raise about overclassification is something that I've been following for a long time. There's a great book about it by Fritz Schwarz. Uh, it's called Democracy in the Dark, The Seduction of Government Secrecy. And um, I read that years ago, probably uh, close to 10 years ago. And he gets into exactly what you're describing, how there are just too many levels of classification and too many documents that don't need to be classified. Being classified, it would seem like things like this, what we're seeing with Trump, what we're seeing with Biden, it's 
almost bound to happen. But uh, Thaddeus, give me your thoughts on the the Biden document probe in general, Congress's role, and whether this is sort of a a Democratic plot, as uh, even someone said to me on this program 24 hours ago, to derail Biden's presidential campaign. Well, I think obviously, uh, unless there's a deep state mole that's a Republican, uh, what you're looking at is someone leaked this information, and it's kind of like throwing chum in the water to the Republican GOP uh, in the House majority, so they're going to investigate it. Interestingly, um, it, it seems that with this with this instance, what you're running into is that the Republicans have to be very careful, and I think if they try to deal with this in an appropriate level, how do we solve this problem? How do we deal with it? By spending too much time on Joe Biden, Joe Biden very well might not be the Democratic nominee in 2024. And so while you're investigating him, while you may be investigating Hunter, what you're going to want to do is make sure that you actually put forward positive legislation to deal with issues like this. Now, one of the issues is is arising, and you touched upon it, Frank, is the fact that the bureaucracy will classify secrets to protect themselves, not the public interest. And that is something that has to stop. And I think that the Congress has to look at that, find instances of that, bring them to the surface, and start to look at ways how to prevent it. If there are instances with the secrecy that not simply being classified information being taken out of there, but what is classified, as you point out in the first place, as Anthony's pointed out, but more importantly, to make sure that the that the bureaucracy is not protecting itself at the public's expense by using classified information. If people just tuning in, we're talking with uh, former Democratic Congressman Anthony Weiner, former Republican Congressman Thaddeus McCotter. Uh, gentlemen, one of the issues that they say was a key sticking point for the House Freedom Caucus in supporting uh, McCarthy's ultimately successful bid to become speaker was the issue of the establishment of a new church committee to explore the weaponization of the government. Uh, Gary Hart, who was actually on the original church committee, Democrat senator from uh, Colorado, when I interviewed him about his work with the church committee, and it was pretty interesting stuff, he wrote an op-ed yesterday in the New York Times saying, I was on the church committee and the new Republican version is an outrage. Can this be an area, this weaponization uh, of the federal government, which the Democrats used to raise during the Bush administration, can this be an area where there's maybe an unusual or unlikely left-right alliance to reform some abuses of the FBI or the government in general? Anthony, what do you think? I do. I do. I've done a couple of programs about this on the middle. You know, I think that all Americans— it's in our very blood, our, in our kishkas, to be suspicious of a powerful central government, power of government in general. I think it's, it's, it's very something that's deep in the libertarian sense of the, of the word liberal. I think it exists. Now, I think that for Democrats and Republicans, for the left and the right, it means different things. For the left, it means to be concerned about, about the authority of police officers and whether that's being abused. For the right, it's the authority of the FBI. I mean, I, it's even reached the point that people are upset that we're going to hire people who are going to answer phones at the IRS. I do think that there is that this type of oversight and concern about an, over, an overly strong anyone that has a badge, anyone that has authority to enforce laws, we should keep a very close eye on. I think it's something that Democrats and Republicans both agree upon. Now, I do think that the Republicans are, are I, I think there's a certain amount of overreach going on here. And I do think there's a certain amount of vilification going on here. You know, I am no fan of the FBI. I, I think that that J- James Comey cost Hillary Clinton the election by the way he completely screwed up and, and frankly blame me. Uh, I talk about that a little in, in, in the podcast this week. But I do think it is one of those places that left and right, if you if you ask them what are the the concerns they have that lead them to be either left or right, one of the things that we both agree upon is there's concern about an overarching, too powerful central government enforced at the point of a sword by people with badges. We should be suspicious of that. But I believe now it's reached the point where it's almost as if Democrats are the ones that are saying trust law enforcement and it's Republicans that are saying don't trust law enforcement, which is a weird twist from the way it used to be. Uh, Thaddeus, your thoughts on uh, on this new church committee or anything Anthony said there, including uh, James Comey or some Democrats blaming him for the election of uh, of Donald Trump in 2016? 
Uh, well, I don't blame Anthony for Donald Trump getting elected. I thank him, but I don't blame him. <laughs> <laughs> but, if, but if you look at it, I mean, you should be able to differ. It should not matter what party you are in. You should look at the power of the federal government, and you should look at any potential abuses of power uh, wherever they come from in that government, especially because it is so large, it is so powerful. Uh, and the average citizen needs to know that the individuals in there are doing their job in a diligent, uh, nonpartisan fashion, just executing the laws that were passed, uh, duly passed by Congress and signed by the president. So when you when you look at these types of things, I think the the problem that the Republicans did right off the bat is they should have named the committee something that everybody can understand. It's a, a committee, an investigatory committee to protect the constitutional and civil rights of all Americans and to see whether there have been abuses of power uh, by the federal government that have infringed upon them, because the infringement of one individual's constitutional and civil rights is the endangerment of every citizen's constitutional and civil rights. So I think the Republicans kind of came at it from the wrong perspective, at least in terms of how they named the committee. And it opens it up to the, the, the accusation of being a partisan-type committee. When I think in the end, we've seen abuses of power. We can, we can go back and you had FDR having... Uh, J. Edgar Hoover looking up uh, the backgrounds of people who sent him letters about isolationism. So, I mean, this goes all the way back to pretend that it's something new isn't the case. Uh, with all due respect uh, for former Senator Hart, and I thank him for his work on the Church Committee, I can understand where he's coming from, because what he was looking at at the period of time, was specifically the, the, the intelligence agencies and the family jewels and all that, the crown jewels, uh, that they actually got to was some very serious and horrible stuff. But that doesn't mean that abuses of power aren't going on now and shouldn't be investigated on a bipartisan fashion. I think he's mistaken in that. There's a few other items that I want to pick your brain on and uh, have to break in a moment. But let me ask both of you. I do this uh, podcast, which uh, focuses a little bit on uh, mafia-related issues. And I have a lot of law enforcement people on, a lot of gangsters on that show, a lot of family members of gangsters. And one of my favorite things to ask them is, of all the mob movies that are out there, what is the most realistic depiction of mob life? Now, since I have a couple of recovering members of Congress here, I'll ask you the same question about political movies. There are so many political movies uh, ranging from, uh, you know, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington to The Contender. If you had to pick a a film that either of you have seen that you find to be the most realistic depiction of either political life or life in Congress, what would it be? Anthony, I'll, I'll start with you if you have one. Well, I don't, I mean, I there, there, frankly, I, you know, the question I get asked all the time: What's more representative of Congress, Veep or House of Cards? And that's easily Veep. You mm-hmm. know, it, 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 that kind of, you know, we frequently confuse elaborate conspiracy for just mistake and 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 coincidence. Um, I, I think that there there is there's an element of the the famous movie, the the, the candidate. You know, the there's some of that, but I, I have not seen, and this is part of the problem. I have not seen a really great movie that depicts what actually uh, what actually goes on in Congress for a while. You know, we have a part of the problem is implicit in that question. We have kind of these romantic, larger notions of how politics works. In fact, what it is, is individuals who, by and large, are very well intentioned, by and large, are great Americans. And I say that you know, on both sides of the aisle, by and large, get into the business for all the right reasons. And we are in an environment now that there is an element of members of of members of the political class who exist solely for the purpose of trying to discredit the 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 institutions. None of that makes for very good literature. None of that makes for very good drama. So I don't think there are a lot of movies that that capture how fundamentally okay we are as a country politically. I think the voters and citizens are fundamentally want to do the right thing. I think their representatives want to do the right thing. I think that we're a very divided country, but I haven't seen a movie that that captures that zeitgeist very well. Thad, uh, same question. Uh, Is there a a political movie or a congressional movie that you saw and you find, all right, well, that's actually a pretty accurate depiction of how things go? Well, I remember somebody wanted me to watch uh a movie about Congress, and I said, why would I? I see it every day. 
<laughs> so so why would I want to see that? I mean, if you're asking me, there has, to my knowledge, because I don't watch these types of things, uh, I don't think anybody's ever put forward uh, a political version of Spinal Tap. This is this is Spinal Tap captured what it was like to be in a band. I mean, it was just absolutely perfect, pitch perfect. And I just don't think that anybody has ever done anything like that with Congress. And, and, and it would be very hard to. It would be very hard to because to write true satire, you have to have a love-hate relationship with what you're writing about. And most people don't love Congress. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to continue with Thaddeus McCotter and Anthony Weiner. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno uh, talking with two former congressmen, Democrat Anthony Weiner, Republican Thaddeus McCotter. Uh, these days you can read Thaddeus McCotter in American Greatness, a uh, very interesting publication that is trying to shape the future of American conservatism. You can listen to Anthony Weiner on the radio and on his podcast, The Middle. Uh, just go to WABCRadio.com if you want to catch up on any of that. You know, one of the reasons I like doing these panels, gentlemen, is because I think it's important for listeners to hear that uh, Democrats and Republicans can talk to one another without screaming at one another. And it's interesting to hear uh, how often when you are doing analysis, you guys can agree with one another on strategy and even in terms of policy and substance. That is uh, really light years from where we are on the world of cable news, in the world of a lot of talk radio, which you're both pretty experienced in. And it's really a, a, a light years from where a lot of people are viewing their own neighbors, where they view people of the other party as the enemy. What do both of you think can be done to reduce partisan polarization in this country so that we can go back to viewing people as the respectful opposition rather than enemies to be destroyed? Uh, Thaddeus, what do you think? Well, I remember talking to my old colleague, John Dingle. He was the longest serving member of the House at that point in time. Uh, John bordered my district. We we bordered each other. And I asked him, um, I said, what were some of the biggest changes that you saw over your long tenure in Congress? And he basically said that it was the the jet travel. And I said, the jet travel? What, What do you mean by that? And he said, prior to people being able to go back and forth to their district every three days, he said the members would live in Washington. They would get to know each other. They would understand each other's families. They'd meet them. They would basically understand that the other person was a human being. And they got along on that basis. But when people started going back and forth, it was so much easier to see them as the other and objectify them, and it made it easier for them to attack. And so I think that when you look at it now, what Anthony and I do on the show right now is we're not really advocating that's not our role anymore. We're trying to diagnose it and analyze it uh, for your for your listeners. But even when you advocate, if you understand that the person that you're arguing or you know dealing with is another human being, there are limits that you will place on the things that you will do to win. Right now, there seem to be very few limits on what people will do to win, and the country is suffering for it. Anthony, what do you think? Well, two things. I mean, one is, and this is one that you're familiar with, the, the notion of, of gerrymandering districts so that Republicans only need to care about other Republicans right. challenging them and Democrats only care about other Democrats challenging them because the, Democrat, the districts are written to be either Democrat or Republican. I think that's really harmful. You know, I, I think that that if all of our districts were drawn as squares and we had to just fight it out on ideas, we would not only come up with better ideas, but I think we would be much more willing and much more capable of engaging the other side. But the other thing is television and the media. You know, Frank, you and I are on a station that has me and Bo Snurdly both on the airwaves. You know, that's generally not the format right now in either cable news 
or on radio that we have either conservative radio or liberal TV or liberal cable or and that yes it might be good business in the narrow sense of the word that you have a, a base of people that want to hear more and more about how their side's amazing and the other side is scoundrels but I think until we start to figure out a way to have information exchange that is more about our country as a collection of Venn diagrams that we look for where we overlap. And that's the way government, I think, was intended to work. Media makes it very, very hard. And I don't blame people in the media. Their job in the post-Watergate era is to take the sheen that we politicians would put on ourselves and try to scrape it off. Um, but I think that, that the effect now is a great deal of cynicism and very little, very little in, imperative. If you are a, a member of Congress who's a Democrat, there's really not a lot of people saying to you, go out there and, and compromise, go out there and, and, and talk to the other guys. They're being told every day to dig in deeper. And there's a third element to that, and that is the money that it takes to run for Congress and to run for any office. When you're spending four hours on the phone calling up people, uh, asking them for money, you're calling people who are telling you, I'll give you money, but only if you fight like sure. heck to defend your position. And that makes it very difficult to then hang up the phone and go to the floor and then, you know, for me to pull aside someone like Thad McCotter and said, hey, let's work together on something when we just spent four hours telling our donors we would never compromise. Yeah. Uh, to your point about the gerrymandering, uh, one of the things that's frustrating to me as just an observer of, of this sort of thing is that it seems like the uh, members of Congress that are the most productive, that are most willing to work across the aisle, that are uh, least likely to d- try to destroy the other side, they're the ones from competitive districts. And because they're the ones from the competitive districts, they're the ones targeted first by the DN, the DCCC and the uh Republican counterpart. So uh, it's really a frustrating thing to watch, and uh, hopefully something could be done about it. All right, only have a minute left, gentlemen. You've offered a lot of political prognostications for the last hour. We're in the midst of the football playoffs. Let me uh, get you to make a prediction in terms of the Super Bowl. Who are the two teams that end up in the Super Bowl? What do you think, Thad McCotter? I can truly say that one of them will not be the Detroit Lions. Anthony, uh, what do you think? I am I am a Jets fan, but I know I know my audience. I see the Giants going all the way, Frank. I don't see anything that can stop them. That might be the least thing that uh, the least true thing that you said since uh, <laughs> since uh, you were commenting on Twitter photos. All right, gentlemen, the Lions stopped him, Anthony. <laughs> gentlemen, <laughs> gentlemen, thank you both. I hope we can do this again soon. Anthony Weiner, Thaddeus McCotter, uh, check him out at WABCRadio.com and American Greatness. Keep asking questions. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit CarShield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at CarShield.com audio. That's CarShield.com audio.